0: This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to helping you become a savvier marketing leader no matter your level. In each episode, we will dive into a relevant topic or challenge that marketing leaders are currently facing. We will also give you practical tools and applications that will help you put what you learn into practice today. And if you missed anything, don't worry. We put worksheets on our website that summarize the key points. Now, let's get to it.
1: Welcome to Marketing Smarts.
0: I am Ann Candido
1: and I am April Martini, and today we're gonna talk about accountability and how very important it is now more than ever. COVID has affected so many things, as we all know, and the workforce is one of the major ones. We came back to work only to find a complete lack of available workers. Now, we're not gonna get into the politics or personal opinions on how this happened, but what we will talk about is how now more than ever you have to hold your workforce accountable. And unfortunately, with the lack of the workforce, it feels like the tendency is just to have warm bodies in place and or not to reprimand or offend or have rules in place that you normally would because you're worried about making people mad and having them walk out the door, quite honestly. And so then this is leading people to think they can just show up when they feel like it and keep their job or do a poor job with no repercussions. And that's why our perspective on this is the opposite, because we believe by holding people accountable, then they're able to take pride in their work, feel like they're part of something. And then your company succeeds as a result. So it's a win win for everybody.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think there's also a lot of anxiety on how to be empathetic to everyone's health and fears and everything that's kind of going on right now while still running a business. So there tends to be a, a lot of conflict there. And it's a really tenuous balance of being human and being a boss. Yeah, exactly.
1: All right. And with that, we will get into how to hold others and yourself accountable. Number one, set clear, actionable, and time-bound expectations. And since, Anne, I know you're all about this one, I'm going to hand it over to you.
0: Yep. I believe in this a ton. Because how can anyone know what they're accountable for if there's no expectation set? And it does no good to set expectations if they're not clear, actionable, and time-bound. And you have to do this kind of at all stages of a person's job or career. So definitely when a person starts, because you have to set expectations for what the job looks like. But then as they grow within that job or if they change roles or they elevate to a new position or the company changes, you have to continue to evolve and and modify those expectations accordingly. And generally we recommend you you should do this no less than every year. Um, Now you definitely want to be checking in more frequently than that. But yearly is a really good time to really analyze and see where everybody is and what expectations you need to put in place in order for them to continue to grow and for the business to continue to grow. You definitely don't want to sit and forget it. This is not the place to do that. And if you feel like the market isn't bringing you good candidates, we we hear this a lot from a lot of folks, you may have to reframe your thinking here too, right? So if you have a specific role that has a lot of different responsibilities, you may need to break down that job into those specific responsibilities and have more people then come in and take those roles. Now, That doesn't mean you can pay everybody that same salary that that one person was getting. You need to also break down the salary. But it does give. uh, you an opportunity to then kind of dissect it a little bit and then maybe play with who um, may be coming in and being capable in order to take those roles. Okay, so I remember eating at BJ's during the pandemic and they had a kitchen person that literally just stayed at the pizza station. So that was what she was trained to do. Now, normally, like one of the chefs or one of the sous Mm -hmm. chefs would be managing the pizza oven, but... They needed the, the chef and the sous chef to do something else. So they hired somebody just to manage the pizza oven. Now, of course, somebody would say, well, if she doesn't come to work, then what do I do? Well, then your chef or sous chef has to step up and operate Go the back. pizza oven, yep. right? But at least you're starting to kind of break down some of the roles so that you can make pizzas, Mm -hmm. (laughs) where maybe he might not have been able to make pizzas.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that it's also a good way to build up confidence in the workforce and also offer opportunities for growth and advancement because people are also having a hard time keeping employees. Right. Right. And so I like the idea of breaking the jobs down a little bit more because I think, number one, they're more accessible to people to come and work Let's say in a kitchen if they've never done it before, if they know they only have to learn this one thing. But then as they get more Mm -hmm. comfortable, they can start to tackle different stations or different parts of the job that maybe would be typical but are not so typical in the times we're in right now.
0: Right, right. So it's almost like like a point of entry Mm -hmm. type of position, but even taking it down to something simple, almost task oriented that somebody can do that still fulfills the need that you have and then set the expectations around that. So if you're in business, this starts with really having a very foundational and very clear job description. That is what you were going to negotiate with the person coming in and so that you're all on the same page with regards to what the work looks like. Right, then we talked about setting goals. This is really important. People need to know what success looks like so that they can be working towards that. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure that you're checking in on a regular basis so that the how becomes very clear. Otherwise, people start doing jobs. And you know, this is <laughs> the, one of my favorites. It's like, well, I got the job done. It's like, yeah, that was an hour job, not like a five-hour job, right? (laughs) And they're like, oh, well, I I didn't know. It's like, I I didn't know that I was after I was supposed to get this done in an hour, and then I was supposed to come back and ask what else I'm supposed to do, or I was supposed to get all these things done. So sometimes it seems elementary, but it's really important to be clear and direct in these um, conversations so that you can set very clear expectations.
1: Yeah, I I think that The point is really right on and really well taken in that you might think you're being specific, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you might not be being specific enough and so I think now more than ever this whole idea of clear actionable and time-bound expectations if you can think through everything you're asking people to do from that perspective and appreciate that the employees you're getting in some instances are not employees that have done the job before you're better set up Mm -hmm. to get them started in the right way and then build that foundation to continue that behavior as you then build the skills
0: yep agreed
1: all right number two schedule regular and ongoing check-ins to assess progress. And Anne did speak a little bit to this one in the previous point, but we think it's so important that you do this, yes, on the yearly basis that she mentioned, but also beyond that and more thoroughly.
0: Yeah. And just like you said, we don't do this enough. We don't check in enough. I mean, Mm -hmm. we get really, really busy, especially as managers, leaders, um, in everything that we're doing. And we especially for operating as vigilant leaders, we tend to kind of let our people do what they need to go do, which is awesome, except for that they do need your guidance. They do need some structure. So having a total hands-off approach is not good for anybody, Mm -hmm. right? Because you have to continue to provide feedback. They need this from you. They really, really need it in real time too. And that's one thing that we also tend to struggle with because that becomes a very uncomfortable thing to have to do, right? So the more that you can give real-time feedback in the context for which it's actually happening, so everybody remembers like what exactly just happened and they don't have time to kind of flip it all in their head to mm-hmm. what they want to remember how it happened, the better off you're going to be. And the less scary and less of a big deal is going to be if you set up the expectation the feedback is going to be on a regular basis. So that's what these regular and ongoing check-ins are really set up to do. And we know that it's really hard to do that right now, especially face-to-face, right? So some businesses are, are, are back in the office. Some of them are not. And it tends to be a default of ours, and I probably because of our upbringing, um, that we say that, you know, you, you need to get feedback when you are face to face. And so we tend to delay it. Mm-hmm. We wait for, you know, we put a meeting on a schedule like two weeks from now in order to, <laughs> you know, when it fits into our calendars and we can actually meet face to face. That's just avoiding the inevitable. And then, like I said, if you're continuing to kind of push the the can down the road or kick the can down the road, if you will, you tend to have different stories that start to kind of be created about what happened. People don't remember it the same way. Other things happen. It becomes then, you know, multiple things that you didn't have to address. It is so important to have, you know, in that moment, a quick phone call, even like a little FaceTime Zoom or or that that facial um, connection. Even an easy email or text, if it's something that can be conveyed well through email and text, is totally fine. This is not copping out. Not doing it is copping out, mm-hmm. right? So you have to provide that feedback, whether it's positive feedback, which is really important. We sometimes we tend to not do the positive feedback all the time because we don't see that as a necessary. Yeah. We, we, we see the opportunities as a necessary so do both of those and, you know, accommodate also how the other person would like to receive the feedback as well in your style and in the format for which you used to give the feedback. But ongoing checks to assess progress is critical here in order to make sure that you continue to stay on the same page about your expectations, about quality delivery, about, you know, how you expect that to be done, all of those things that are going to help to build your business. Yeah, and, and I would say
1: too, to your point, Anne, just to build on giving the feedback that the way that the people want to hear it, um, I think that this is something that's often... Or the way that they will hear it, quite frankly. This is something that's often skipped over. And I think that when we're in this kind of revolving door situation that a lot of people feel like they're in right now with COVID, it's like, well, I don't have time for that. Right. But we would argue to the point of this whole episode, you don't have time not to.
0: Yeah, because if you
1: take that extra time and you get to know the person. And then you learn how to communicate effectively with each other. One, it builds the relationship so the feedback is not as hard to give. But then you also get to know them and understand how to communicate effectively with them. And so I think a lot of stuff is getting shortchanged right now that shouldn't be getting shortchanged. And so this is one of those areas that I feel like if you just take a little more time, it will pay off in the long run. Yeah, I agree. All right. Number three, make your company a place people want to be. And this is one, quite frankly, kind of I set myself up for this one, but Mm -hmm. to the point that I just made of what we're seeing not happen right now. I made the warm bodies reference at the beginning, and I just feel like this is easily remedied if you make it more than just a place I show up and do X job. And we're seeing, you know, a lot of companies throw money at people, obscene amounts of money for jobs that really Uh should not be that expensive to fill the roles, but it is right now. It makes sense. But on the other side of that, I mean, at some point, you're not going to be able to compete from a dollar standpoint anymore. And so what else can you be doing so that it's not just a commodity situation? It's not just I'm going to pay a dollar more than the next guy and the next guy and the next guy. And then, you know, you get those people in the door and as soon as they're offered more money, they're back out the door. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, This is really about focusing on your culture, about standing for more than just whatever you provide to your end consumer or customer at the end of the day and being mindful and very um, intentional about that in an environment where it's happening less and less right now. So I will give an example. So I. We've talked about getting our nails done and how important that is to us. So I went last week when I got back from vacation and I walked in and the first thing I noticed was like it was dead, like Mm -hmm. totally dead. I think there were four techs working in total. It's a big space. And so I was at first chalking it up to, oh, the holidays have passed. You know, people are saving money now because they just spent a bunch of money. We're not as festive. So this is something to cut back and we're in the dead of winter. Okay. But it quickly became apparent that that was not the situation that was happening. And my nail tech was has been there since they opened and has worked at lots of other salons. But so she's answering the phone at the same time she's doing my nails. And I'm like, what is happening right now? And then she's running over here to answer this question from this person and yelling out stuff in Vietnamese that I don't understand. And finally, I was like, Jesse, what is happening today? And she said, well, we brought on a new receptionist who's also learning to do nails, but her job is to answer the phone. But we had three texts not show up. And so now she was trying to do nails and answer the phone and she's not really trained in either. So I took over the job of answering the phone and I'm trying to help per and I have my own clients for today. Mm. And meanwhile, the manager of the salon is nowhere to be found. And I said, well, what's going to happen when these people come back to work? And she goes, what do you mean? We can't fire them. We don't have enough people as it is. And so to me, this was a problem on a couple levels. One, there's no incentive, accountability, all of those things for the people that are just skipping. But also, I was sad on her behalf because there was no recognition of how she was going above and beyond. And so if the manager had been present and built a culture of accountability, but then even beyond that was able to recognize Jesse for the ambassador that she is in the person Mm -hmm. that she is and her willingness to help run the show, she wouldn't have been so angry about it because it would be part of her role and hopefully she would receive a promotion or be a manager or whatever that looks like. But, missing on all fronts in this instance it was just a complete mess and you could tell that even the people were that were there were then also harried so then for those customers it was also a problem and i've left feeling that energy instead of relaxed or you know however Mm -hmm. i want to feel coming out of that and then on the other side i will say from a more corporate or well agency perspective i've talked about this before um we're not great at defining HR or career path. And so (laughs) those clear, measurable, and time-bound goals kind of fly out the window even with the best of intentions. And so often then people create their own, but then uh, the majority just feels like, oh, well, I should just get it because... I'm doing the job, right? But there's no way to measure. So it becomes really arbitrary. And then the managers are left without any path to communicate. And the employees are left with, well, I'm doing the job. So why am I not getting promoted? And so it just becomes this kind of mess, which is then furthered by the fact that a lot of times you're owned by bigger organizations. And so you start to feel like just a number, number, even in regular times. And, Don't really have a strong desire to do a really great job because the culture is not there to cultivate you and the others around you to make it a place you want to be. You become resentful about the fact of, well, I'm working my butt off and nothing seems to come of it. So why do I want to continue doing this?
0: Yeah, I think those are are really good points. And I think this like I'm glad you gave the two extreme examples of like a service industry of like, you know, a nails salon, but then also like as people would kind of see on like on the more of the corporate agency side because it does spread the gamut. Yep. And I think everybody should be able to take what you just said and and really action against it. And just to, you know, highlight a few things because I think the culture piece is so important. I mean, a lot of times it's used a little bit as a punchline about our culture, you know, but nobody is really actively owning it or cultivating it. But the important of the culture is so paramount because your culture is what attracts your talent, Mm -hmm. right? So if you are going to want to get top talent, you better be cultivating the culture that's going to pull in that top talent. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when we talk about this and people are try, kind of struggling to try to figure out what that looks like for them, we ask them to um, really start documenting what their philosophy for success is. Yeah. Right? So, not just what it looks like to grow your business with regards to numbers. But how are you going to get there, right? So for in the in the context of the nail salon, it's like, okay, what do people expect when they come into the nail salon? They expect to come in, get quality nails. I mean, that's without a doubt, right? Yeah. But they also- Table stakes. Also, said, table stakes. But you also said, like, I left with this negative energy, mm-hmm. like the stress-tensed-out energy. Nobody goes to get their nails done to walk out and feeling, like, tense. I mean, it's- That's not what a spa is supposed to do, right? Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be kind of a beautification thing. It's supposed to be a thing that, like, makes you feel good about yourself. And then space is supposed to be pretty and it's supposed to be calm and serene, right? So just, like, your space and creating kind of a quote-unquote culture with regards to bringing customers in is also what attracts the kind of talent you need to bring in. And if you're not thinking about that how, how you want your, like, in this case, the salon to be in order to be able to pull in the right customers and the talent you are going to have a very hard time competing against others who are, because Mm -hmm. that's what sticks in people's minds. That's the expectations, and then they start to develop with regards to what do I want from my business or this business that I'm engaging in? So I think that's just a really, really important point. Yeah, no, I totally agree. All right,
1: number four, hold yourself accountable to accountability. And so this one focuses more on managers, obviously, because they're the ones that have to set the tone and the accountability and the culture and all the things that we've talked about for their team. And this can be a struggle just in general. It can be a struggle, a huge struggle now because of the situation that we're in. And so I I think that managers have had a hard time, whether it's things like people are remote and they can't give face-to-face feedback like we mentioned before. Or now they have their team partially in the office sometimes and partially not. So that's another adjustment. And their lives have been disrupted too. And so they have the added pressure that if. It doesn't come from them. Where is it going to come from? And then the team can kind of fall apart as a result of that. And so, you know, just to give some some more examples here, you know, back to the discussion about after meetings and feedback, right, and the fact that you might not be face-to-face right now, it doesn't matter if you have back-to-back today Zoom meetings, right? The prioritization should be to be late to the next meeting to give the feedback, not well, shoot, I have eight hours of meetings, so I guess I'll catch this person. Oh, I look at my calendar next Tuesday with the feedback, right? And so I think there are some things that have not necessarily adapted in a good way because before you had like the walking in between meetings, right? Now you don't even have that. And so you click the button off and then you're expected to be on the next one. So I think some of it is rethinking like, okay, yeah, it's harder for me as the manager in a lot of ways, but there are some tweaks that can be made that can inspire a change in the culture overall if I'm stepping up to do that. And then, you know, from back to the other example of more of the service-based industry. So we were in Florida over the holiday and just like everywhere else, they are struggling for employees across the board, right? Not just where we were staying, all over the place. But in the hotel, I got a very different tone than I got when we were out at the restaurant in the pool area and stuff in the back. And it took me a couple of days. I was like, you know, they seem to have enough workers. The workers are all super polished. I mean, mm. even like the cleaning staff would talk to, stop to talk to you. I mean, it was just like a very stark difference. No one running around with their heads cut off. Then you head out to the pool and it's like, you know, the bartending staff is fighting with each other. You have a handful of people standing around, not really doing much of anything. You have no one really running the show from the very top. And it just kind of left me scratching my head until I went in one afternoon and the manager was having like an on the floor status meeting with like six or eight employees. And I was like, oh, now I see what's going on. Like, even though they were well-dressed before, right? Like, they're standing tall and they're, you know, all their buttons are done on their suit jackets or whatever. And she was dictating the expectations and the touch base and how are things going and then for the next shift. Whereas on the outside, not only did there not appear to be a manager, but I certainly couldn't identify who that was. And it was just kind of everybody running amok. And just, again, having people there, even though they might have been doing more harm than good if they're just standing around not doing anything, right? And then we as the customers are like, where's my food? There's four people standing there doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And so I think That situation just really highlighted this for me of, you know, that manager is clearly holding people accountable and it gives a very different sense and feeling and experience for the customers, contrary to the nail example and contrary to what was happening right outside in the restaurant, where I felt the stress of the team again and I felt the stress of where's my food.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, a really important thing to to really sense and really like embrace as as you're holding yourself accountable especially as a manager and as a leader is that you can't project your own stress out onto your people absolutely right and so i think maybe if i was going to hypothesize i might have been the difference in in the two right where yeah. you know um the one manager you know feeling like okay despite everything that's going on This is our philosophy for success. This is Mm -hmm. how we're going to manage our business. And these are my expectations of you and everybody kind of lives into that. On the other side, if you're feeling stressed, if you're feeling harried, if you're feeling overwhelmed, your whole your people feel and sense that too. And then they don't know what to go do with that, right? Mm -hmm. And then that projects again onto the client, the customer, the consumer, whoever that they're interacting with and doesn't create again, or reinforce that philosophy for success that you have. So you really need to think about then how you want to channel those feelings. It's not that you can't have them. Of course, you can Mm -hmm. have anxiety. You can feel overwhelmed, all of those things. But you just can't indulge that with your staff, your people, your teams. You need to find other ways in order to vent that through, in order to be able to show up like you said, and make sure that you're setting the right tone because you are the model. People Mm -hmm. are going to take their cues from you. And if you're not going to be exemplifying that model, then people are not going to know that that is what you want them to go do. Right. They're going to be either default to what they feel like they should be doing or they're going to take, you know, whatever cues that you're doing, whether it's running around like a chicken with your head cut off or, you know, um, not being able to be um, very organized mm-hmm. or being very scattered. Like, So just be very careful about the behavior and the actions that you want to display because that's how your people are going to be taking cues. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think it's, again, going back to the whole point of the episode, it's holding
1: yourself and everyone else accountable in a hard time <laughs> to do that so that you're better for it in the long run, but also you're giving that space and that that leadership ability to your team. Yes. All right, so just to recap, how to hold others and yourself accountable. Number one, set clear, actionable, and time-bound expectations. Set your employees up for success from the start. Schedule regular and ongoing check-ins to assess progress. A continuous feedback loop is imperative to accountability. Make your company a place people want to be. Be more than a commodity. Create an environment that people enjoy being a part of. And finally, number four, hold yourself accountable to accountability. As the leader, you have to set the precedent and hold to it. Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright-people.com, You can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on. All right, in our next segment, In the Trenches, where we give real-world examples specific to industries and situations, but with broad application for anyone to digest and put into action. And this first one I'm going to hand off to Anne. This lack of employees is a real thing today, though. I'm so afraid people will walk if I put pressure on them to be accountable. What do I do, Anne?
0: Yeah, I mean, it is really tough. It is really real. I mean, we totally sympathize. The thing is, is that if you don't let them walk your culture becomes very toxic Mm -hmm. based on this person, right? And we talked about bad apples before. That is a real thing. As we, you know, April was giving her example of the nail salon. If that had been her first experience at the nail salon- I wouldn't have been back. You might not have been back, right? Luckily, they have you as a ongoing customer and they've earned your respect enough to be like, okay, this is just like a one-time thing but you got to think about the fact that people not showing up has a direct impact on your business especially if you're not going to show up to back up the people <laughs> not showing up which i yeah that, that's that's questionable yeah around. very not not good not good business practice but really it's it's better to try to operate with less people that are really good people people that are exemplifying how you want your business to be run and people that are being accountable because that is what's going to maintain and, and weather your business through this this tough time. It, it is going to change. We, we believe it's going to change. But it might take a little while. Mm-hmm. And so in that case, you're going to have to do things like we said earlier, like maybe you limit your offerings. I mean, if you are a smorgasbord of services, maybe you start narrowing them down to a few key services that you um, can over-index with with regards to the staff that you have and their talents and their skills, as well as what's going to deliver revenue. Mm -hmm. You might have to do that for a little bit. A lot of people are doing that. Maybe you have to really think about what are the high potential opportunities that are going to maybe bring in new work mm-hmm. based on the talent and the skills that you have, right? So this can scale to, no matter if you're like at a restaurant, that's where we've been talking a lot of restaurants, where you might have to limit the menu, for example, for a little while. And a lot of people are doing that, or they concentrate on a few like core things that they're really, really good at. Yep. And you become like a boutique restaurant versus, you know, your your plethora of offering, offerings you had before. Or if you're kind of more of a, of a service oriented you know, maybe if you're uh, a, a service oriented like our our marketing and, and, and branding, for example, and you offered like a, like a wide range of services before, you might have to scale that down to saying, okay, we're going to focus on digital and social content development yep. versus we're going to be doing. Full, like strategy-based, like work that we can be able to accommodate any of your social digital needs, right? So you might have to do that for a little bit based on the people you have in order to be able to keep your business going and weathering the storm. And this is where, like, I mean, this is why I like your example about the 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 nail salon again, April, is that this is where it's really, really important as a manager to be present. Yes. You may have to get your hands dirty here. We talk about vigilant leadership, I know, but in some of these cases, you may have to get in your business versus on your business in order to make your business work. Short term, that is what's gonna have to happen. Then you need to go do that. But in order to be able to really, you know, create that accountability for everybody you have to have your employees backs that is what's super super important here and when you can create the culture which just seems to be a theme here you will bring in and retain the talent and the right employees that fit that culture because they're going to feel a part of something but you need to actually do the really hard work of being able to understand what it is that's going to do that, mm-hmm. right? It may not be what you currently have or what you want to set up. You may need to be a little bit more creative in really addressing what people's you know, fears are right now, what their anxieties around. Maybe it's like I'm worried about my health care, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm worried that you know my health. If I you know go out and do this, my health care is going to be too expensive, and you know this and that and the other. Maybe you provide health care solutions. Who knows? I I, I don't know, but. I think you need it because it, it's, it's so business dependent. It, you're going to have to define that. But I can tell you that it looks more than I'm just going to give you more money. Because mm-hmm. as you said, once you just start playing the money game, you commoditize the the job. And then all people are looking for is where can then I can get more money?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, back to the point about having your employees backs, frankly, but also the idea of really knowing your people and what is important to them. I think when you do that part of it, asking them to be accountable is not as hard anymore. And so... I'll give an example that happened to us, actually. Um, Right before the holidays, we got a pretty big opportunity from one of our clients, but the work was going to happen partially over the holiday. And so I went to one of our regular and very best designers, and I was like, all right, Here's the situation. What do you want to do? And I was fully ready, honestly, to have to tell them we couldn't do it because Mm -hmm. I respected the fact that, well, I was going to be on vacation and it was the holiday. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we took the ask of what they wanted, which was to do the whole project and have it to them by the end of the first week of January. Well, she was in um, a session like had been hired to run a session for four days of that first week. So we knew that wasn't going to work. Right. And so I was like, all right, well, are you working at all over the holiday? And she was like, actually, I'm working in between. I plan to work those days, especially because I'm going to be in that session the first week. And if I can do it those days, then I'm happy to do it. And I was like, all right, well, that requires me to work the weekend, like the Sunday, Monday before to get the content ready for her. And I was like, well, I can do that. We don't have anything going on that day. And then I'll have most of that week off while I'm on vacation, right? Mm -hmm. And so it definitely wasn't clean. (laughs) It was kind of a mess there for a few minutes. But I went back and I was like, okay, here's what we can do. We can get you one half of the deliverable, which will give a good sense of what the second half will be. It actually makes more sense to do it that way because we can align on the one section and then replicate any changes for the second. We'll get that to you before the first week of January. You will have the first week to go ahead and make any comments, changes, whatever, and then that next week, we'll give you the second one. and It'll be a little bit more of a rolling deliverable. And they were like, OK. It
0: was like, <laughs> no big deal.
1: And it didn't ruin my vacation or her vacation or holiday because we both knew what we were willing to put into it. And... She's loyal to us because we give her a lot of work and she gets a lot of good work from us and fun projects and all of that. And she takes a ton of pride in her work, but she prioritizes working with us because we've built that with each other. And I can hold her accountable to a deliverable in a not great time because we she's learned what our expectations are for our team, even though she's not even technically employed by us.
0: Yeah, and I like the fact that you went to the client and reset expectations, yep. too. Because yep. a lot of times we'll just accept that. It's yeah. like, I wanted the first week of January. And you're yeah. like, OK, OK, OK. You know, yeah. And then you're like <laughs> running in order to like make it all happen. And then when you go back, you're like, why did you say the first week of January? You're like, eh, just picked a week. I mean, yeah. you know, and then yep. you're like, if I'd only asked. Yep. I could have maybe reset um, this or reset the expectations and, 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 and been able to pace the workout at a more reasonable level, uh, and uh, been able to deliver better quality work, more work. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and not stress out everybody that works for me, right? Right? Or that is doing work on my behalf. So I think that was a really good reminder to always. Eh, ask, you know, mm-hmm. just, just ask, is this a, you know, a hard and fast deadline? Is there any wiggle room or can I break the work apart? Like we talked about in a way that is a little bit more, uh, easier to get done due to the holidays and recognize that holidays are a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and not like try to just like ignore them and believe that you're just going to be able to push your people through that because that's not holding yourself accountable for <laughs> managing people and, and their, um, mental being as well. And they're, just a right to enjoy their holidays. So Mm I thought that was a good, good reminder.
1: Yep. All right, number two in the trenches. What tips do you have for hiring the right people that will fall in line with accountability? And like we've been saying throughout the episode, and we just talked pretty thoroughly about this, you as the manager have to set the tone and the expectations and then hold people, including yourself, accountable to them, okay? So we will say that again right off the bat. But there are traits that we look for and that we recommend others look for. That you can kind of assess in the interview and get to whether the person inherently has these traits or there are things that they, quite frankly, don't. And they're kind of faking their answers, if you will. Mm -hmm. So the first one is taking pride in the work as an extension of themselves. I will say that. This is the proven success by which Ann and I run our company. Mm -hmm. Every single person that we hire to do any sort of work has this in spades. And what that leads to, like the example I just gave, you know, she could have said, I'm not working the holiday. Right. Right. But she runs her own business, too. And she knows it's important. And She actually said to me, which this is kind of how I am, too, like, I would have felt worse just taking the days off, not doing anything and giving up the work than just doing the work. And I need a break from the kids. And I need, you know, like we got into this whole other conversation. Right. But she sees her personal wealth and value as very closely tied to her business and the craft of doing design. And so I think what this shows up in an interview situation as is a question like. When was the time you were super proud of your work and why? Mm-hmm. You know, and and what you hear is, is it because they say things like I did the right thing on behalf of the client or I took the time to do the best job that I could or I contributed to the bigger picture of the work. You should be able to hear the answer, but then also the genuine pride or excitement or just fulfillment in the tone of their voice, which then gives you an indication that they tie their self-worth and their pride to the job that they do. It's more than just a job. Mm-hmm. The second one we would say is they are a team player. So that's very closely tied to the first one in Forthright People as well, right? None of the work we do can be done by any one person on our team. Rarely do we have any sort of scope or project where it's like, I don't need anyone else and I'm just going to tackle this one by myself. And that's by design, right? Because to this point, we only want people that see the greater value of being part of a team and that you can deliver more in that way. So again, if you're interviewing people, ask them for examples of how they worked well in a team environment. Was there any success on a big project? How would they describe how they work with others? Do they enjoy working with others? Do they prefer to work alone? You can get to all of that. And again, you're listening for the ability for them to just bring stories or examples to the surface Mm -hmm. right away in a very genuine way. Number three, seeing it as more than a job, which talks to the pride in the work, but it's that they have intentions and ambitions and goals and dreams outside of just whatever the job is. And so... I hate the question of where do you see yourself in five years because I think that that (laughs) I never
0: knew I never could answer. that No. And
1: I never could either. But I don't know. So it's more like, okay you're going to come in and do this job. What's next for you? Or, you know, where did you start to get to where you are today? Uh, What you know, if you had your very best day at work, what would it look like? Like things where you can start to get at aspirations and make sure that. It's more to them, you know, it's either a career or there's some desire to continue to progress in some way in the in the job. I mean, even if it is a job for a period of time for them, it is important to be able to get the sense that they are going to commit to whatever it is and do it well.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And then number four is handle mistakes with grace. We're all human. We all make mistakes. We might strive to be perfectionists. It does not work. So, what you want to hear from them is when did you make a mistake and what did you learn from it? Or how did you grow from it? Or what did Mm -hmm. you take away from it? You know, those are the types of things where you can get a sense of, one, will they be able to handle stressful situations? Because as we've been talking about, there's lots of them out there today. But then also, will they own their mistakes and fix them and be better for it the next time? And so we speak a lot in this one to character, really, right? These are all examples of different types of character that people have inherently within them. But then also that you as the manager are going to hold them accountable to, but help them cultivate and be fulfilled in the role they're playing in your organization?
0: Yeah, I think those are really good questions. And I like the qualitative nature of them because I think in a lot of interviewing now, people try to quantify everything in order to make it a little bit easier, quote unquote, to assess, right? They're like type. Typing people. They're typing people, yeah. right? And so, like, a lot of people who are looking for people who are going to be accountable are looking for certain traits, right? Yeah. So they'll yeah. they'll tend to have them do the strength finders or Ugh, they'll try them to Enneagram yeah. them or they'll try to Myers-Briggs them, you know, in order to be able to, to define, does this person have, like, these specific traits in order to fit into my organization? And, of course, accountability being, like, a huge element of what creates a successful team and, and business. hmm so I I like all the articulations you provided that because you're going to give people a really good understanding of how to structure those questions and what to listen for because mm-hmm. that's the other thing we ask those questions but then we don't know what to to listen for but this requires you to actually. Again, have a conversation. Yep. We're also getting a little lazy in our interviewing where we're letting people screen all of our people until yeah. until a certain point. We're using, and I love these services, like we're using the Indeeds of the world and stuff like that. And, I, and I'm and i not saying that you shouldn't use those, those systems in order to be able to kind of weed out, but I'm seeing that people are weeding people out way too early, yep. way too early for certain criteria that they think that they want because they're trying to quantify yep. or they're trying to correlate without even talking to the person, to hear the stories, to hear the inflections of their voices, to kind of really see if they're going to be a person that's going to fit within my organization in reels, not on just on paper. Yeah. Right. Yep.
1: Well, and I think the other thing, too, is we're also telling you here how to properly set the culture of the team. Right. Because right. if you're hiring within these parameters and you're taking the time, you're getting the right people people, human people in the jobs instead of just like you said, someone that has the right type for what you're looking for. Yeah, exactly. Number three, how do I figure out what motivates my employees so I can better hold them accountable? And
0: Yeah. So just like we were talking about interviewing questions, there's more here <laughs> to, to, to build on that. Um, these are questions like, why do you want to work here? Mm-hmm. Why do you want to work at all in some cases, yep. right? Depending on what kind of business you're operating. You want to get a sense of what is most important to them and why they're looking for you as a potential employer. Right? Because a lot of the times, you know, the answers we're getting, maybe if it's not even articulated this way, would be, I need to pay the bills, mm-hmm. right? That is fine. We all need to pay the bills. And I'm not saying that you won't want to hire somebody that just responds with, I need to pay the bills. You just have to understand that that might not be a long-term person for you and yep. maybe okay for right now. So you should invest accordingly with regards to how much training you give them, what kind of rules you're going to give them. And I know it, it kind of seems like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like, well, if I bring somebody in and then I give them a marginal role, then they're going to find somebody else that pays more. Well, that's the type of person that this already is. Yeah. So you just kind of have to recognize that that's, this person's looking for a job to do in order to get some money. That can change at any moment based on what else is kind of coming in. But maybe these people come in with that intent. And because of your culture, you evolve into something different. You were making that point earlier, April. So, but you got to really figure out what kind of talent you want to retain really, really. And then kind of figuring out, like we were talking about before, how can you incentivize them to want to stay there? Right? And we have another episode about incentives, so you, should, you can go back and listen to that one because that one was a really good one. We broke it down in a lot of detail mm-hmm. about how do you retain employees. But it's something like, do these employees just need a bus pass in order to get to you? Are they lacking a car? So maybe they need transportation uh, if, even if you don't have a bus service, some other ter- level of transportation in order to be able to get to you. Um, Do they need to pick up their kids from school so they need a little bit more flexible of a schedule? I mean, so these are things that you can start to think about with regards to what might be getting in the way of people actually working for you, as well as how can you incentivize these people to stay?
1: Yeah, and I think, too, going back to just being there to do a job for a period of time, sometimes that's exactly what you need in that moment. I mean— You know, if you lose your entire kitchen staff (laughs) and you can hire a chef who has experience in, you know, the same type of food or whatever, even if you're like, I'm not sure they're going to stay long term. That needs to be the solution for where you are today.
0: Right. Exactly. And so
1: there, you know, while we're saying, yeah, you want the longer term people, of course, you want people who are going to stay. It costs a lot to hire and train new employees. We know all of those things. There are, especially in the environment we're in today, there are instances where that is the solution and you don't need to overthink it. You just need to make the decision and know that it's just for right now. Yeah, I think that's right on. All right, number four in the trenches. How do each of you hold yourselves accountable? So we will both answer this one, but I can start. Um, I have one thing at the top of my list every single day that I must achieve. And this might be personal, it might be professional, but I think about it like if there's only one thing I get done today, it's mm-hmm. going to be this one thing. And sometimes, honestly, it's as stupid as I need to change my dentist appointment. And sometimes it is I owe Ann my episodes for the podcast, and so I need to do that immediately when I wake up. It can be big or small or whatever, but I think what happens to me sometimes because I feel like I try to hold myself so accountable, I kind of swing on the other direction, is I get really overwhelmed. And so mm-hmm. this helps me start my day with focus and knowing that the world's not going to come crashing down as long as I do this one thing. And then I also do pay really close attention. This is a big thing about going out on my own and managing my own schedule I pay close attention to when I do the best work, depending on the type of work. And so for whatever reason, like that project I was referencing before, it was really technical writing. And it was like reorganizing content, putting structure Mm -hmm. and making sure that it flowed the right way. I'm best doing that literally when I first wake up in the morning. For some reason, it's, you know, and I'm a slower getting going person, but for whatever reason, it's like if I get up really early and I start cranking through it, my brain immediately takes to it and I can crank it out in a few hours and it's done. On the other side, creative writing is not typically done well by me in the morning. I Mm -hmm. usually need more time. I need to definitely cue my mind that it's something I'm gonna be working on, but I have to let my mind kind of process it throughout the day to be able to then sit down and successfully write like a brand story or a brand character Mm -hmm. or those types of things. I've also talked before about how important it is for me to work out pretty much every day. It just it increases the focus of my brain. And so, therefore, it has to be a priority. And I schedule that, honestly, based on the weather a lot of times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, it's like if it's summer and I want to run outside, I do it first thing in the morning before it's 100 degrees. If it's winter and I want to run outside, I wait until the sun's been up for a few hours so that it's not so freaking cold. But I hold myself accountable as you're hearing me say to either the one thing or the puzzle of the day to get everything working together without too much stress or those things like working out that I know maybe I don't feel like running first thing 8 a.m. on a Monday morning in the summer but I know if I don't do that and hold myself accountable to it the rest of my day is not going to go the way that I need it to go and like I said when I first went on my own because my schedule was so dictated to me in a lot of ways, working in an office environment, like when I lost that nine to five or nine to six meetings every single day, it required me to think about what do I want to do with the time, and then how do I best work with that time so that I'm successful in my business. Now that it's my choice,
0: right? I took a slightly diff- like more tactical angle to this one.
1: I know, and you tried to make me do it, but yeah, I guess I, did. I didn't deliver.
0: I know but well I thought that was I thought that was actually very clear. So I thought you know you you, you provided the one thing I yeah. think that was really like a really helpful point of like the one thing that I'm gonna get done and it kind of funnels really nicely into some of my tactical ways because mm. I kind of think about that too but I put my one thing in my calendar as an all-day event. Hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Or maybe there's like a couple or two or three things. And you're right. It could be something for like, I need to call this person or I need to respond to this email. But whatever I know that I need to get done that is priority, small or big, it goes in my all day Uh, Invite Mm -hmm. or or calendar um, entry of my. um, For that day I need to do. Yeah. yeah. So I I think that's a, a really important point to make sure that you are responding and prioritizing your day appropriately and making sure you're getting those things done. And then if I don't do it, it shows up the next day. And then it shows up Mm -hmm. the next day. Mm -hmm. And because I am somebody who likes to check things off a list, eventually it gets to a point where like, I got to just do this.
1: I can't do anything else until I can't do do anything.
0: And sometimes I give myself a couple extra days, like it's not like a tough deadline. Um, But like it's sitting there and it's staring me in the face, just reminding me that I am not being accountable to getting this thing done that I said I was going to get done, which brings me to like a broader context of like, I schedule everything. Mm. I, I put it in my calendar. So um, if I want to spend time working on something, I block that time in my calendar. And that's my discipline of saying, because with accountability comes discipline of saying, okay, I am going to spend that time doing this piece of work at this moment so that I can progress that work the way that needs to be progressed. I'm not procrastinating. I'm not waiting until the last minute. and I'm giving my my full self to that. So I suggest that for everybody when they're having accountability issues or if they're trying to figure out something new that they're trying to do and they just can't seem to figure out how to get started. It's like, okay, then put a calendar entry that say, I'm going to find five, you know, I'm going to search Google for five things that I I can go then check into that's going to help me learn more about this thing. Mm. I mean, just break it down, break it down. to something that's just so Fundamental that it's like I can take action on that right now. That helps you to have accountability of moving down the path without having to like bite off like the whole entire thing all at once. Because sometimes people are like, you know, if it's like a working out thing, I got to start working out. Or again, I got to lose weight. Like when we're talking about like some of the New Year's resolutions, it's like great then. If in order to hold yourself accountable, schedule in that you mm-hmm. have to work out, right? Make make yourself see it. Yep. When you can see it, it, and it's just not living in your head, it tends to have a little bit more gravitas in helping you and motivating you to that. I also ask my team to hold me accountable. So I I, I try to be very self-aware. Um, and I know one of my traits is that I get very excited about new ideas. <laughs> like, it, And I'm like, and because I'm an action-oriented person, I'm like, now 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 i'm ready i'm ready I'm ready and I'm like where are we? where are we where are we? and i'm like i have to tell them like you guys i need to tell me to just calm down like right you know that i'm trying to honor a process i'm trying to give you guys time i'm not trying to um you know push it through like a you know a freight train here but i tend to get very excited so i need to tell my team and my team has every right to say and you need a chill <laughs> and they do Uh, But one of my other prime um, personal brand characteristics is integrity. And so that is really, really important to me that I mean what I say. I say what I mean. and I do that consistently. But I also mean that like I'm I hold a lot of integrity for taking responsibility for the things I commit to as well. So you have to be accountable to what you commit to. And I am very protective of my time and energy And if I say I'm going to go do something, I plan to do it with the right amount and the appropriate amount of time and energy. Try not to spread myself too thin because it's not good for me and it's not good for anybody around me. And it's definitely not good for the people that I committed to. So that's another element of accountability for me. Um, I I think, again, I think accountability can be something that if it's not – Natural to you, or if it doesn't come naturally, it can definitely be skilled. Mm-hmm. So I don't want everybody to say, "Like, I just it's just not me," and you know, and you know, I, I just kind out. of more of a free flowing spirit, and I just kind of like to kind of go with the flow, which is what we hear when people don't want to take accountability. Or I changed my <laughs> mind. Well, fine, take accountability for the fact that you changed your mind. Then, you know. So um, I, I, I think it's really important that you put in some of these tools or use these tools and put in some of these like tangible things in order to really kind of evoke the discipline that you need in order to be able to be accountable yeah
1: no i think that's totally right i mean i i do think that there there are certain things that can't be taught accountability is not one of them you can totally train yourself yourself to be be able to do it and i do think that when people say well i just have a really hard time sticking to a schedule i'm like it's actually not that hard just stick to the schedule
0: yeah it really is not (laughs) that hard oh i'm just always late i'm like why yeah Yep. I mean, why why, why are you always late? I mean, there's just no reason to be late. Yep. All the time. All the time. All right. Number
1: five in the trenches. How do you handle someone that just cannot get on board with accountability? And I will say this very assertively. You let them go. And yes, even in today's environment. Mm-hmm. Anne talked before about the bad apples. We've talked about it before on this show. One person can single-handedly take down, fill in the blank, your culture, the productivity of the team, satisfaction of your customers, all of those types of things. And I know that, you know, there's a labor shortage, there's not enough people. But what we try to do today is both talk about some things you can do to creatively fill gaps and also how to build a team with a better culture where people want to come and work for you, So we've mm-hmm. kind of attacked it from both ends, right? So with this one, I mean, that really is the short and long answer. It's they've got to go. And of course, because it starts with you, you have to be really honest whether you held them accountable and you did all the things we talked about today. If you did, time to go. You've got to document the behavior. You have to have given the feedback more than once and really be ready for people to be surprised, even if you've been crystal clear, that you're letting them go. Sometimes people just don't see what they want to see. And like we said, there's kind of this subculture going on today of, well, I'm pretty much bulletproof. I can do whatever work I want to do. At least I'm here. Right. Right. And so, you know, finally, we'll say when that time comes, make sure it's not a negotiation. We've had an episode on firing people and how to do that appropriately. So if you need help, go listen to that episode. But the the thing is here, the decision has been made. It is the conclusion. And so the conversation is we're letting you go. And that's the end of the conversation at that point. So pretty straightforward on the last one.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's right on. And I... I Just because it's just so fundamentally important to the productivity of your business that you have people that are accountable and are consistently accountable, you just can't afford the distraction and the loss of energy and and momentum by these people who are just not. Totally.
1: Totally. And our third and final segment is, well, it used to be a real world example of a brand doing things well or not so well, but we're finding that isn't working as well since we've shifted our format a bit and we're giving you more marketing leadership type topics. So we're expanding this to a business or person we've experienced recently that are using or not using their marketing smarts and we're calling this marketing smarts moments. All right. So I'm responsible I'm in the hot seat for the example today. <laughs> and this is a positive example. So we've talked about some troubling things that are going on today, right? Lack of resources, not enough people to fill roles, all of that. And I think I've mentioned before that I've spent a lot of time with my dentist this <laughs> these past few months, well, this year, quite frankly. And so my example is Fountain Square Dental. They're my local dentist here on Fountain Square in Cincinnati. And I will say that they are continually doing and just continuing to get better at doing an outstanding job, both with the people that they're hiring, but also with the consistent presentation of the brand and experience from those people. I mean, I really just cannot say enough good things about them. And what I think is so interesting is they're being very conscientious and very pragmatic about giving the human side to dentistry just as much of as the dental work itself and i've really not experienced that before and like i said i've i've been a patient of theirs now for I don't know, almost 10 years, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I just have continued to see it grow. And so this latest experience, you know, while painful, (laughs) physically painful, was not at all emotionally taxing. And, I started thinking about how dentistry is one of those interesting ones, right? Where, like, it's not the doctor necessarily. So like, People have a very
0: visceral reaction. Like, they either don't mind a dentist or they hate the dentist. Or they hate, or the they hate it. Nobody's yeah. like, I love to go to the dentist. Yeah,
1: exactly. And then paired with that, you know, we talk a lot about bedside manner when it comes mm-hmm. to, like, your, your general practitioner and all that kind of stuff. But not as much with dentistry. And so I think just... What they do really well is everything from, like I said, the consistency and tone by which you're communicated with, but also the things that they do. So as an example, um, this was kind of a, I guess it's been about a five-step process to get my new teeth. And so after every single visit, I got a follow-up text message either later that day or the next morning, depending on when the appointment was, asking how things were going. And it was not a text message just automated. Mm. Clearly, it was the receptionist or the doctor himself because I would answer and it was like, okay, that's good to hear. Like maybe take a little more ibuprofen or, you know, here's some things to look out for before you come back the next time. And I would get that one and then at least one more follow-up in between appointments to make sure things were going well. They've also changed their communication to the way I like to communicate. So they place a lot of phone calls. Well, I'm on a lot of phone calls throughout the day or meetings or running from here to there, and I just don't have time for a full phone conversation. So they ask for permission to text me, and now they know that – That's my preference so they don't call me to ask how I'm doing they text me to ask how I'm Mm -hmm. doing and then everyone in the office knows what's going on with me when I come in so the girl that was responsible for helping with my teeth is not my normal um, hygienist because it's a different skill set whatever but. The new girl knew that I had two kids. And it was Sam and Mia, you know, and then also even the front desk person knew what I was in for for the day and what I'd been in for previously. And so it just felt like everyone was paying attention to my care and it was very personalized to me. And it was also just like a lot of the soft touch that I just was surprised about. Yeah. And so I've actually, even though it's the dentist and nobody likes a dentist, I recommended them to two people already and talked. Yeah, they did a great job at, you know, what I wanted my smile to look like and the work that just needed to happen to fix my teeth and all that stuff. But I'm talking way more about the experience and just my surprise and delight around this whole thing.
0: Yeah, it's amazing how the experience speaks way more than the quality of the product. Because yeah. your teeth are great. Well, thank you. Yes. But like <laughs> uh, yeah, but that's always been the afterthought. Oh yeah, and by the way, my teeth are great. Yeah. But like the experience has been what you've been advocating for and what you've been sharing with everybody that mm-hmm. and that's gonna be the reason why people come there because the dentist is smart and that they know that fear. Yep. They know the like, you know, just the feelings of, like I don't really mm-hmm. like to go to the dentist, you but I know it's it off. A, yeah, it's yep. a necessary evil. And he has done a really good job of being able to facilitate an experience and, again, a culture that then attracts the right people Mm -hmm. to work there and then brings in the right clientele that appreciates that. And that becomes a, you know, just perpetuation of word of mouth marketing. So I think that's great. Exactly. Yeah.
1: All right. So let's recap how to hold others accountable and to hold yourself accountable. Number one, set clear, actionable, and time-bound expectations. Set your employees up for success from the start. Schedule regular and ongoing check-ins to assess progress. A continuous feedback loop is imperative to accountability. Make your company a place people want to be, be more than a commodity, create an environment that people enjoy and want to be a part of. And finally, hold yourself accountable to accountability. As the leader, you have to set the precedent and hold to it. And with that, we will say, go and exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com.